You're listening to the Viva La Mami podcast, a podcast about all things motherhood. I'm your host, Jessica Cuevas. I am a mother of one on a mission to redefine the meaning of motherhood as a first-generation, bilingual, and bicultural Latina mommy. Regardless if we feel like a failure from time to time, or if we succeeded with the little things in our motherhood journey, it is important to celebrate all of these experiences as madres. So bring your cafecito as I invite you to be a part of this space and create raw and honest conversations about the exciting and challenging parts of being a mommy. Ahora, vámonos. Hola, hola, amiga. If you grew up with your mom, how would you describe your relationship con tu mamá? As you reflect on this question, how do you mother now, especially if you are a mamá de hijas? Today, we welcome Maribel Robles, a licensed marriage and family therapist who is opening an online private practice this year that will focus on working with teens and families. She is also the founder of Hijas Bellas, an online community for first-generation teens and young adults and their mothers. In this space, Maribel wants to join mother-daughter duos by creating healing spaces and providing education about trauma and how it impacts the mother-daughter relationship. In this episode, Maribel and I discuss how intergenerational traumas essentially impacts past and current generations, especially as it relates to our cultural identity as mujeres. Maribel provides mental health resources as well as draws attention to social justice issues that impacts us as Latinas in the United States. Additionally, she shares resources about how reconnecting with our indigenous roots can create a healing relationship between mothers and daughters as well. Maribel not only shares ways that we can heal as daughters and mamas, but we both share our relationship about our own mothers and how we want to be cautious parents to heal from our traumas to better our future generations. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. There was a lot of unpacking that we did, and if you feel overwhelmed, you can always come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Okay, amiga, aquí está mi conversación with Maribel Robles. Hola, hola, Maribel, ¿cómo estás? Hola, Jessica, excited to be here today. Yes, I am very excited and honored for you to be here because I grew up with two sisters, so we are three daughters. And then on my mom's side, she has four sisters, puras hermanas. There are five of them. And so kind of reflecting on as I was preparing for our conversation today, I'm like, I wish that there was a therapist that focuses on the mother and daughter relationship, because oftentimes we clash, we depend on our moms. <laughs> we sometimes are like, why are you my mom? And like, right. and sometimes we're our little inner child even if we are adults to our moms. And sometimes mm -hmm. there's trauma that happens. And it's also like, how do we heal from the past with our relationship with our mothers? And so I really, really am thankful for you to reach out to me because I think this is a very important conversation to have, especially for us who grew up with our moms and or for those who have daughters as well. 
So Maribel, if you can tell our listeners who you are. I'm Maribel Robles. I was born out in LA, California. Don't remember much of that. I only lived there until I was like three. We moved a little bit east to Pomona, California. That's where I grew up. My parents are, they immigrated from Michoacan, Mexico, like in the 80s. So I am blessed to have been born over here and now trying to reconnect with my Mexican roots too. I think we'll touch a little bit about that today. I got married 2017 and became a proud mom in 2018. So I am the mother of two little girls. One is four years old and the other one is almost two. We're excited. Just starting to talk and do all those sweet things. Professionally, I have a license as a marriage and family therapist. I have specialized in trauma, completed level one and level two training of sensory motor psychotherapy. I'll probably explain a little mm-hmm. bit about that later too. But that, what you were mentioning, that mother-daughter connection, it became so important once I became a mom too. Mm-hmm. So that really like called me and that's where I'm starting to like expand. Thank you for your introduction. And yeah, and it's interesting, right? How motherhood changes us in a way and in terms of how we see things whether if it's interpersonal relationships or you know just like how systems that have been set in place and how that can affect us as professionals or as mothers and our children as well and so with you kind of now focusing on the mother-daughter relationship therapy aspect, right? What are your clients? Is it typically like uh, teenage women who who reach out or is it the mom that reaches out? Like, what is your main clientele? I have specialized as a teen and child therapist. I obtained my license in 2018, but I started working with children since I was in my graduate program. So since 2014 and up until now, I had been working either like community mental health or the clinic setting. I was working for this like big hospital and it's all kind of like system ran, right? So we don't really have like a choice. Most of the parents were coming because the school had already referred them or when I was in the hospital setting because there was a doctor who was saying, you know, your daughter or son is having these stomach problems or these migraines and they're not going away. We already tried all this. How about you guys seek therapy? So most of the time it was kind of like that forced route There were very few families who were trying to seek services because they were trying to prevent something from getting worse. Like they knew that the parents were going to get a divorce. The parent, one of the parents was seeking to like keep their child in therapy. And then sadly, unfortunately, insurance is not going to cover that because you need a medical clinical diagnosis. So there was a lot of like, I want to help, but I can't really help. And also when it came to that, if the parent was bringing the teen, then 
there was only so much that could be done because insurance only covers like so many appointments. Mm. So it was a struggle to like really work at the root, which is like always integrating the whole family. I would have like a 45 minute appointment and we'll try to do like 30 minutes with the, with the teen and squeeze the parent in for like 10 or 15 if possible. But then Sadly, again, we go back to systems, parents are busy working. So it was hard to get the, the student out of class, mm. plus get the parent. So then family therapy just becomes really challenging in those type of settings. And that's where I want to like really dedicate my time being able to work with them simultaneously too, because... I don't know if you've heard about like couples therapy. A lot of clinicians have a no, no secrets policy. It, it's supposed to be very transparent. You can't, you can't have one person telling the therapist one thing and the, the other one something else and then not expect that to get talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've seen happens a lot with the, with the teens, the minors, because we have to hold confidentiality and they're like, no, 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 I don't want you to tell like my mom about that. And then we're like, well, your mom needs to know this so that you guys could really like figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And they knew like when it came to safety concerns, they had no say, like, mm-hmm. I have to tell your parent about this, but other things, like if they started dating and their mom doesn't know and they're like, no, you can't tell her. And I'm like, but we want you to be safe. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you should be able to ask your mom questions about this. No, I can ask my friends. And we're like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that divide is there. And yeah. it's hard to like mend it without being in agreement from the very beginning that we're going to work together. And what are the things we're going to work on? So It's a whole different world being under like insurance panels or clinic hospital settings. It's totally different. Yeah. And kind of going off of what you said, the teenager or the young adult is doesn't feel comfortable confronting their parents or in this case, their mom specifically about certain things that they've been keeping it away. Like, why is it that they don't? open up? Why is it that they feel comfortable speaking with a random adult or their friends, anyone else but their mom? Is there some kind of research about that? Yeah, I think first I'm going to make it a little personal. Um, As far as like myself, I consider myself to have a good relationship with my mom. And it wasn't until I was more than a young adult that I realized, like, I don't. I respect my mom. I will listen to my mom, but I can't trust her. Like, I I don't go to her when something's bothering me, and she's not the person that I ask questions. And now, like, studying this and helping families do this type of work, A lot of it has to do with the differences of how they were raised. Like we talk a lot about emotional intelligence. There's this book that kind of irks me with the title of Adult Children of Emotionally Disturbed Parents. I have not read it, but just the title, like it, it makes, it puts a lot of blame on the parent. Like, oh, it's 
this parent is supposed to be an adult and they're supposed to be like there for me and they're so emotionally immature. That's how it was presented to me mm-hmm. by someone. And I'm like, but that's putting a lot of blame on the parent. You know, it's not their fault that they didn't have, or we'll talk about the mom, you know, it's not my mom's fault that she doesn't have the language to ask me about all these things. I was taught the value of respect. Respeta tus mayores, you know, no desobedezcas, no seas malcriada, no contestes mm-hmm. para atrás. So it's a lot of cultural, but this is trauma. It, we've normalized it as our culture, the Mexican culture, the angry mom, la que grita, la que amenaza, la que golpea, you know, los chanclazos. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just a lot of trauma that they lived through and their mother lived through. So it's been generations and generations of wounding and they're kind of numb. And I don't mean numb in a bad way. I mean numb in a self-defense way. Mm-hmm. And that was me. I was, you know, to go with the stereotype, the phrase that we hear, like, calladita te ves más bonita. No one really told me, don't speak up, don't say anything. But I already knew, like, I had to be quiet. I had to keep myself out of trouble. I just had to do a good job. And that's what I did for a really long time until I was an adult. I was trying to climb that corporate ladder and I was feeling very anxious about like, you know, walking on eggshells. You're about to do something wrong. All of this is about to like fall apart. Someone's going to call you out on you don't know what you're doing when I knew what I was doing, Mm -hmm. but it just feels like such a burden. And then through the work I've done, I've realized that's how my mom has felt too. That's how my grandma has felt too. She can't speak up. She's going to get slapped. She's going to get something bad is going to happen to her, Mm. but they can't verbalize it. So I kind of just put all of these things together. They're like hard to explain for me because I'm still trying to like figure them out myself, Mm. but that puts that big divide. It's hard for moms and daughters to have a good relationship because we're looking up to them as they're the adult, they should know better. But no, it's not like that. They grew up in a totally different place and came here. And now there's all these other social norms and expectations, different language. And they have to deal with all of that while trying to give you a better future. Yeah. It is exhausting. The nervous system is trying its best. You know, we're here. That that is like a miracle in a sense because they have survived. They they are here. We are here. Our kids are here. We are starting to make those changes because Mm -hmm. back then they couldn't, but now we have more tools. I feel so blessed with social media and like being able to connect with so many people. Like you know, we connected through yeah. social media and like taking courses. Now we get to talk to people that are not even like locally around us. It's amazing. It is. They didn't have that. They were like, tu casa and calling their parent back home. Mm-hmm. Or, or las comadres, which oftentimes mm-hmm. that can be toxic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Toxicas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
do you speak the truth? And and it's not just mental health, it's also physical. You know, when you look at our the generation, at least the one or two generations before me, I'm blessed that I even have my great grandma, mi bisabuela, on my mom's right. side. And all of these illnesses, high blood pressure, depression, you know, diabetes, and oftentimes it is blamed on the culture, but really it's out of colonization, you know, ever since the start of that and how literally our ancestors' bodies had to endure this constant radical change between, you know, one culture and the next. And now that we're in this kind of situation where we're byproducts of immigrants or we are immigrants ourselves, mm -hmm. like that can also lead on to, you know, the, the consistent cycle that has been going on. And I often think, well, as us first, second generation folks in this country, like it's almost like our responsibility to really be proactive in seeking help, in changing the narrative, in changing the cultural barriers that, you know, oftentimes our parents and grandparents and great grandparents had to endure. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just so interesting and fascinating how it's all interconnected, you know? It is. Love that word, interconnected. Because as a sensory motor psychotherapist, I started paying more attention because we literally focus on like tracking the body. Mm. I didn't really learn that in graduate school. Like I took a trauma class, but they didn't really talk about everything in our body is communicating like our lived experiences and it could be a twitch. So after when I had patients, if they had ticks, like what's the tension? What, why are they holding that tension? So you really want to get to know like when did it start versus just like the very solution focused models of, you know, this is a problem, this is what you're gonna do and let's start working on it. We have to kind of like go back and mm -hmm. talking about trauma, all these intergenerational traumas. Uh, I have decided like, you know, I have to ask these questions differently and kind of like have a family story because whenever I was doing an assessment and you just, throw it out there, like to a Latino, any traumas? No, porque mm. luego me van a reportar al CPS or blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like there's a lot of fear. But if we start talking about our migration stories, you know, if I ask my mom and my dad, how did you guys come to the United States? The things that they've shared or that they went through, like sometimes that was very traumatic. And sometimes, you know, my mom crossed while she was already pregnant and she was like stuffed in a cajuela de un carro. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents carry these stories in silence. Like yes. we don't know about them until we're like way adults or we heard it from a tío or a tía. And we're like, oh my God, like that happened to my parent. And then that's when we start to have like compassion for them. Like, we want people to have compassion for us, but we forget to, like, have compassion for the mamas, the, mm -hmm. las abuelitas. I think it's important to capture our stories and to realize, like, maybe we should stop even using the word trauma. Like, in, in the culture, usan susto. 
¿no? Tiene nervios, ¿no? Está espantado, tiene nervios, o when they're little, se les cayó la mollera. All of these are communicating there's a wound, and it's a soul wound. It's like a spiritual wound sometimes. It's not something that we can physically see. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love this. So in terms of now us being more aware, right, about these intergenerational traumas, how can we heal from them as now that we are parenting, whether if we are parenting daughters or sons, right, like how can we be more intentional of vocalizing how we feel or articulate our feelings to our children and that way it's not just we're kept in the silence as well as how our past generations were so first like you've mentioned awareness that's definitely key i had struggled with you know i i know all this stuff and i'm like wanting to implement it but i can't so awareness is one step and then we need some action so it goes from like our intentions to our actions we want to like verbalize it. So like me with my daughters, because I, like I mentioned, all of this for, for me has been like more recent. Like once I had my daughter, I know there's a lot of maybe gen alpha or little bit younger gen seers that they start in their 20s. They really start like getting to know themselves, their inner world in their 20s. But for me, I became a mom at 30. And then I really started like questioning things. So like I tell my daughter, if I'm frustrated, I say the word, you know, I am feeling really upset right now. I just need to go for a walk or I just need to be alone right now. And that's part of like the healing process. Like I'm healing myself and I'm also reflecting to her that she's allowed to be upset. And, you know, this world is so full of so many things like we can't always be happy. We do try to make the best of it, but it's not always easy. So it's okay. She tells me like, I'm really mad. And I'm like, yeah, I can see you're really mad. And that's okay. It's just not okay to start throwing pillows at mommy. <laughs> and she's like, but I'm really mad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I see it. Yeah. And right that with them, like being there for them, that's such like, if you can do that one thing, that's already making a huge mm -hmm. difference because me and my husband were talking about this the other day, how as parents, like our nervous system gets triggered. We think like sometimes we're just being, you know, like the, the disciplinarian, but no, like I think generationally we are triggered when we see intense emotions, like that was not okay. People that like, you know, maybe spoke up and like showed their anger to someone in authority, something bad happened to them. So everything we do is in a way to try to keep us alive. And thank God it has until now. But then there's that moment in time where we feel it's no longer working. So as a parent, when we see our kid in distress, we want them to stop right away. We don't want them mm -hmm. to be in distress, but sometimes that's coming from like our own triggered place. So mm -hmm. with that awareness comes that action, like ask yourself, why am I getting triggered? 
Like, why is it so hard to see my kid? Maybe it's because I have five more things that I need to get done. Maybe it's because I don't know how to calm them down right now. Maybe it's because if I like see them crying for two, three more minutes, I'm gonna like lose it. All of these things are like just opportunities to like reflect on oneself. That, that's the bigger baby that was born when we have our kid we have this new baby born yeah. within us like we have to nurture it and you know pay attention to it as well yes our inner child right like we mm-hmm. definitely have to listen to it and see what the needs are of that before you know kind of working with another child yeah <laughs> which is hard it's really hard and and you know our parents don't know this terminology but that like es un inner child and and then i reflect about when i am parenting in front of my parents right and i've i've definitely seen this specifically with my in-laws you know they're like ah pues pégalo para atrás si si él te pega pégalo para atrás and it's like well how is that going to resolve the issue Right? How am I going to validate my son's feelings? that because of, again, we're receiving all of this like cultural responses from our own parents, the way that they parented. That oftentimes we don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to continue on that cycle with our kids, and and it's like, ah, oh, like you still feel like you're being pulled in different directions, that And yeah, how can you kind of resolve that? Yeah, that's such a hard one because the setting the boundaries, like Mm. they don't know any of this. So it's really hard, but small conversations, repeated conversations. I know kind of like with my mom, it was the opposite. Once she had grandkids, it's like they're a whole new person. And you're like, why didn't I have this type of parent? Right now they're contentidores. They want to give the grandkids everything. Like they can get away with more stuff. And I have to tell my mom like so many times, mom, no les de dulces, no han comido. Like primero tienen que comer, luego they could have the candy. And it backfires, right? They're like triggers because then later she's like, oh, pues no le di arroz porque no sabía si tú querías que le diera. <laughs> oh, for food, you're gonna ask me for permission, but, right, but not for candy. candy. You could secretly sneak it in. I'm like, oh no. So it, it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. But I think that like that's one of my goals to create more of these spaces where like the moms and the daughters and maybe even the grandmas are all sitting together and they're hearing the same information together and they're gonna like talk to other people and they could like express themselves a little bit more because that way it's not just like me and my mom butting heads but now it's like oh you know like remember what we learned in that retreat or that workshop like can we start doing that or like how can we mold that to like fit our family because there's all sorts of like family divisions mother daughters like I I know I struggled with my first birth like do I want my mom there because I know the type of energy that she brings but I want my mom there was my inner child right I want my mom there (laughs) (laughs) but my adult self was like 
you know, what is she going to do? She's right. going to be like negative because my mom has suffered with diabetes. You know, she's been a diabetic for like 34 years now. And that like impacts their cognitive abilities. Si dicen que son tercos, se hacen más But then we breathe and we're like, okay, I can only control myself. I can't control her. Like I, what I've done for myself and my daughters is like, we only go about like once a week, once every two weeks. And then I have to deal with the comments of like, oh, ya ni se acuerdan de mí. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Like, this is a thing. like if I was over there and I love my mom, yeah. if I was over there twice a week, that drains me energetically. Mm. That's exhausting because you know that you have to be like um just like buffering these moments so that your kids don't see you all tense because I want them to have like a good relationship with my parents and like it's so abuelita like she loves them and like she gets all cheered up when she sees them I just have to be careful like if something's not going well during the visit then I get to pull out because that's my right and I have to protect my daughters too so it's always gonna be a balance I think we all wish that it was like super easy Mm -hmm. but no relationship is easy (laughs) they're all work Mm -hmm. they all take like both people putting in some effort and then you have to realize like how much effort can my older mom actually give and Mm -hmm. given her medical conditions or you know sometimes cognitive delays like uno educationally there's a difference language there's difference now if they're not healthy that's taking a big toll like a person whose body is in constant pain almost 24 7 like you can't expect them to be like so lovey-dovey all the time Mm -hmm. but then that just means like you know how much can I be around that person kind of going back of like that mother-daughter relationship why do you think that our mothers do not open up with their daughters in terms of you know when they are not feeling it or they're not fully present there's a cloud right that por si we carry on this mental load and oftentimes with our moms they've been carrying it even more I think because responsibilities mm-hmm. weren't shared at home, right? It was always the mom, la mama, la mama, la mama, right? And mm-hmm. so in going back into that mother-daughter relationship, why do you think there's almost like a, like a barrier, kind of like an invisible wall between, you know, having the sense of openness to, to their daughters? So like if I go a little technical with the neuroscience, it's because they're not used to it. Like we can do what we repeat and they don't really have those tools to be able to express their feelings. You know, even like myself, since they didn't tell me like, mija, te quiero mucho, I love you as a child, they started once I left to college. Yeah, you're not going to see me for three months. You better tell me you love me and you're going to miss me. (laughs) Oh, but... It was hard for them. Like my mom, it wasn't until she started going to therapy because she needed to go with my sister 
that she became a little bit more expressive. My dad, he shut down during that time. He doesn't want to know that his daughters are having more emotional needs than what he can meet. It's hard for them to talk about feelings. And if they don't practice, they're not going to be able to do it. Even ourselves, right? We have to like practice. How are we going to say that? Or like, how do I control my tone of voice? Or like, oh, I said it that way. But actually what I meant was this. So we have to like work it. We're working on it. They don't have that. And then second, like being vulnerable, that's also like, it comes from the body. It's not just like a mental decision of like, oh, I'm going to like pour my heart out and I'm going to like let other people know all like my inner dreams and aspirations. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to like be open about those things. We talked earlier about, you know, that's not how they were raised and to survive you're gonna keep doing what you think like has kept you alive and that was to be tough you know to not show emotion don't cry because they'll name call you and all these other things so they weren't raised that way and again being in like a different country without technology because you know, now we think like it was always like this, but it wasn't. And there there wasn't so much access to like free courses or like classes for parenting, maybe a few. But again, being an immigrant, if some of the listeners have immigrant parents, you know, it was a lot of hiding and staying out of like the light. Like you're not just going to go to the school and start like openly sharing about what's going on at home. So they didn't have the resources and maybe if there were some, maybe they were not as easily available for Spanish speaking only parents or moms. So there's a lot of factors and we can call it all like part of systemic racism. Like, you know, yes, that's why more Latinos have diabetes, why more Latinos were dying from COVID because there's these discrepancies like in the healthcare system, educational system, like they never wanted us to thrive, but Mm -hmm. yet here we are. (laughs) Yep, here we are. It touches on so many different points where for us, I feel like it's almost like we have to carry on this responsibility. It's like an additional layer that, you know, we we have to peel off, if you will, if we don't want to go on and continue on those cycles of intergenerational trauma. But it's almost like it's taxing too. It it takes a lot of load. It takes a lot of emotion and, and even time to really seek resources, to talk to the right people about how we can heal as daughters and then obviously heal as parents, as mothers as well. And so how can we really heal from those traumas from the the relationships that we had with our moms are there kind of any tips that you would recommend one very important one is definitely to like seek communities like love the work that you're doing with this podcast having moms have like safe places to connect and i think we might have talked about this that like even four or five years ago, like you try to go online for some type of support group and it's not really people that are brown or, mm-hmm. you know, bilingual, love to speak in Spanglish, those type of things. So then it's still not maybe completely like a safe space, but 
trying to find spaces like that. And that's just like for like, let's say like for myself as a mom, but then again, I'm mentioning like we have to create more spaces where I can bring my mom and I can Mm -hmm. say like, let's, you know, have this workshop together, like little retreat doesn't have to be like a three day retreat, but creating those spaces, noticing what's happening in our bodies, because as a therapist, you know, I got trained to like, listen, 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 let people talk and then give them some exercises. And it's all mental. But we want to start bringing awareness to like, what is our body communicating? As an example, like, I remember one of my like calming down techniques was to just like move my leg a lot. And I thought it was like the worst thing ever because mi mamá me decía, ay, tú parece que tienes hormigas, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to do that. But that was a way that like all the stuff that was going in, whether it was like all my worry thoughts or thinking that I was late for something, that energy has to go somewhere. Our emotions are energy. We have to let them pass. <sighs> whether we like to journal, whether we like to dance, you know, some people like to have that type of energetic release, like taking care of our bodies is so important and it's not hard to do. So I like, I've now realized like why so many people like being at the gym or the yoga studios or like a sport, because those are all ways that we are actually healing and taking care of ourselves but we have to like connect it we have to like realize like this is my self-care time or this is how I take care of myself Mm -hmm. instead of just like it's a hobby yeah yeah it's a hobby because you need it but let's bring that awareness to it oh my gosh yes you know yeah las pláticas con las comadres yeah yeah and and that I think that was almost like a form of therapy or that still is for, it is. you know, las mamas, like my mom, I, she's gone through a lot, especially since the pandemic with losing a very, very close casi hermana, pero fueron con cuñas. And I'm like, ma, I think maybe you should seek therapy. And she's like, no, yo aquí estoy conectada con Dios. And and so, yeah, like there's different ways of, you know, managing traumas and you know past experiences but i i'm such an advocate for therapy because it just allows you to speak with someone who understands who who empathizes but without any judgment verdad and Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to get you know our our moms to do that and and that is okay like if my mom doesn't believe in therapy that is fine but i'm like okay to what point right like how did you make your mom go to therapy because sometimes i feel like my mom has a cloud so a veces no está presente and i'm like mm-hmm. why is that <laughs> and and it could be that she's still perhaps trying to overcome those past experiences or traumas so how mm-hmm. as now that we are adults, right, as mothers, how can we advocate for our own mothers? Yeah, I think when it comes to moms, it's definitely challenging. But again, not being like a nagging person, 
using like the phrases of like, hey, mom, like I've noticed recently you've been like struggling more or I'm feeling concerned because I see that you have like less energy, like whatever the concern is. And like ask, like, have you brought this up with your doctor, whether that's a yes or a no, because most of our moms will end up seeking therapy through their like healthcare insurance. So that would be like one route, like maybe you should bring this up with them or I'm concerned and being ourselves non-judgmental, like they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear. I know I had to like think about it like, hey, well, I know like you're worried that like something bad could happen if you start sharing in therapy, but I mean, in my case, I, I was able to tell my mom, like, what I know is that like therapists are not allowed to say anything unless it's something that's like really causing you harm. I give her like the examples. If, you know, you're thinking about killing yourself or if someone is physically or severely emotionally harming you or if you plan on hurting somebody else, then those are the cases where a therapist is going to like have to talk to somebody else. On the other side, you know, if there is some willingness from the parent and as the daughter, adult daughter, you want to be a little bit more informed, reach out and like do your own research of like some therapists that work with a population like of our moms. Like there are like Latinx directory, they feature like therapists that for the most part are bilingual and then you could like read and see and then I would say, too, in, in those cases, like, we are the customer. So we are allowed to, like, consult and, like, feel the vibe of the therapist. Do we want to work with that person or not? So just being, like, aware that we can still help them a little bit. But if they're just saying, nope, nope, nope then try to figure out what are the other options. Like you mentioned, your mom goes to church. There are some churches that have licensed clinicians that mm -hmm. give like support groups there. So you want to connect them to like communities. But like you said, like maybe that's not the best advice, but you want to connect them to somewhere where they could get some helpful resources. As far as with our daughters, how can we advocate for them so that they can open up to us and that way we can have a stronger relationship? Yeah, I would bring it back to like simple, just like our presence. We kind of talked about like some examples. If my daughter is like super stressed out, like I don't have to fix it. I have to be there with her and help her to like regulate. But in the end, she's learning those tools of like regulating herself. I remember like sometimes my daughter would be like, mommy, sabes que me va a hacer sentir mejor? And I'm like, what? And she's like, que me des un dulce. <laughs> And then I'm giving her like new language, like, you know, some people like feel better too when they get like a hug or when they get a smile. Yeah. So like, we really do have to bring it back to presence because I was kind of um, thinking about how 
because we have social media, we have access to like all these things, we as adults still fall into that like comparison trap and, mm-hmm. oh, look where they took their kid. I want to take my kids there and like buy them this and take them there and all this stuff. They don't really need that to be happy. Like they're going to be very healthy individuals as they grow up if they know that we are there for them. And that's still hard, like even for myself, as I'm learning all of this and trying to be aware and present, I can find myself like so distracted, like I want to take her to this class and I want to like take her over there. And then I remember like, no, because even those parents that always were there taking their kids to all these places, their kids still end up feeling emotionally neglected. So it's not about doing too much. It's just about like being there with them when they truly, truly need us. If they're like happy playing around, I try to make a purpose of like playing with them at least like 10 minutes a day, every day. But when they really need us, that's not the time we want to be like, hold on, hold on, you know, let me just finish this. Because my daughter told me that when I was working, like she was like, oh, and she like just left the room and I'm like wait come back (laughs) what were you gonna tell me and it's so hard especially for working moms or like there's always this constant go 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 and sometimes it, it does make it hard to be fully present right with our children yeah a lot of like my teen clients the ones that were more severely depressed or even suicidal it's a lot of like you know, my parent works too much, or I don't feel like I matter. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, your parent would be so devastated if they knew like all of this that you're sharing with me, but they have hit it. And that's the hard part too. That's like a parent kind of like coming face to face with your, your child's pain. There's still this aspect of us as mamas that we carry on this load, right? There's just a lot that we carry. And so how can we be fully present and aware of our children's emotions and listen to their needs whenever they need something? It's going to look different, like at the age that they are for the little ones. It's a lot of just that play. And being very honest, like, play for me was not easy. Like, yo me reía calladita. Like, I'll smile, but I'm not, like, out loud, like, bursting out in laughter. So, like, it's still something that I'm, like, practicing. Um, Because there is so many demands. Like, that dysregulates the mom so much. And I want to throw out there that, like, the research says a child can develop very healthy with just like 30% like mother attunement or parent, but we're talking about moms. So we don't have to always be the 100%, oh, they cry, like what's wrong? Or like, oh, they need me, I have to be there. I'm such a bad mom, I miss this. They need us like at least like 30% of the time. So when, as they get older, you know, like with me right now, it's a lot of like books and like the bad time, make it playful and you're there for them. You know, they don't really have those great conversations, but they want to be running and playing and being active. Mm-hmm. Once they're a little bit older, it's important kind of like 
to help them monitor like their homework don't expect them to like do everything on their own and then check in like maybe not daily but at least set up like some time where you give each child like some type of quality time one of them might like to play a sport the other one might like to get taken to the library or the bookstore Mm. like being able to squeeze a little bit of time and that's hard too because like moms were like busy running around and sometimes the workload is not like equally divided Mm -hmm. but I I hear a lot of women talking about their helpful husbands and that's definitely a plus because that contributed so much to like our generations not having so much of that attunement right exactly yeah, like teenagers, I don't know, they maybe they want like some type of date night, like let's go here or let's watch this movie together. They kind of are not as interested in board games, but there are some fun board games, mm-hmm. some some that they love. And then it's like important for the parent to kind of show some interest in that. Music, music is actually like their bigger love language, like talk to them, ask them what they're listening to, what makes them happy. And then like for adults, like that's another goal that I have, like having these mother-daughter dates where it's just like, you know, vámonos, usted yo por un cafecito, um, doing things. Because usually we, we stay in like the same cycles, like go over to their house, I prenden la tele, miran la novela. <laughs> And I grew out of novelas a long time ago, so me and my mom could not connect about that. (laughs) So we need new things to connect about. And I can say that, like, for me, it's like I'm getting to know this person that has been in my life for so many years. And now I'm learning, like, what she was like when she was a kid, like, what she was like when she was a teenager, Mm -hmm. how she was helpful to her parents because Mm -hmm. she had to. Mm-hmm. Like, and her trauma stories too. Like she would never tell me any of that, but now I'm asking and now she can share. So I I think writing all of that down is super helpful and healing too, just like as a family legacy. Mm-hmm. I plan on like creating journals for these stories to get like passed down, like interview my abuelita, interview my mom. Yes. And I think that's a really good way of coping those intergenerational traumas where yeah putting it somewhere you're archiving this information because you are creating space for them to just reflect say whatever they wanted to say and that is also healing for themselves even though they won't Mm -hmm. see it that way i also have thought about recording my great grandma who married at 12 she was basically la robaron como dicen you know yeah and i'm like i can't imagine how her life was and mm-hmm. yeah and and we definitely need to acknowledge that their existence and without any judgment right and and i often hear my mom like having the sense of guilt de las cosas que ella hizo no pudo hacer con nosotros con nosotras you know mm-hmm. and i'm like but it's not your fault you know we need to think about the systems, right? The racism, Mm -hmm. you know, the struggles, Mm -hmm. especially as immigrants and, and it's not their fault. And I'm not here to blame, you know, them or 
you know, saying that I had a horrible childhood or anything, but I think it's definitely a, a lesson for us to acknowledge their existence and how we can move forward to better our future generations. Yeah, yeah, because I think they tried their best. They yep. took such a brave move of traveling, you know, miles and miles away from their hometown or even some people like came to areas where they knew absolutely nobody. Mm -hmm. So those are all brave things. And they've not that they go unrecognized, but as we grew up, like maybe we couldn't see the value in that. And that's already like, like a lot, you know, we're educating ourselves, but we're not making those big drastic changes like they have. So right. it's definitely worth acknowledging and like keeping a book of, um, I think family altars are very important. Mm. Like telling family stories, so important. And las recetas, because you know, I struggled with cooking. Um, now I'm like, hey, mom, como hace el mole? And like, my grandma was a big molera and mm -hmm. she passed away. And we're like, does anybody know her recipe? Because mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we sometimes do take a lot of things for granted. If anything, that's just the beauty and the richness, if that's the word, like, mm -hmm. of their existence. Many people are inherited millions of dollars houses and cabins and whatever but i think that that is something valuable that we can definitely keep and and carry on you know for the future generations and it can be as simple as arecita right mm -hmm. like that is definitely more valuable los remedios los remedios yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a big divide like that's a big divide too like I grew up you know being told like you gotta trust science and doctors and like the medical system and then I worked for the medical system and I was like no and then I understood like systemic racism and I was like no and then I was like my indigenous ancestors were a lot healthier and how did they take care of themselves con esas hierbas con esas pomadas con esas oraciones and I'm like there's value here and as mm -hmm. I've like started researching that the science backs it up and I'm like and here I was you know calling my mom superstitious or like eso está bien raro no yo no quiero tomarme eso <laughs> So we, we take things for granted. Can you tell us a little bit more about your platform? Because I'm very excited what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so after I quit these like hospital settings, I was like, I need to educate like as young as I can. I love working with teens. So I'm just going to say like high schoolers and above like young adults who are interested in like learning more about like healing themselves but I didn't want to come at it from like a very therapeutic place. So it's just like mental health awareness. But to be honest, I read all sorts of stuff like health related. Like I watch a lot of documentaries about like the food and what's in our food. And uh, like I was saying more recently, like the curanderismo, just like how people use herbs to heal. And then I'm like, wait, that's not even just like a Mexican thing. Like, all cultures across the world mm -hmm. use hierbas or spices, but maybe it's because of religion, it has gotten like this like negative connotation. 
So like my platform is just to spread awareness and educate more about all sorts of like healing modalities. Like mm-hmm. as a somatic therapist, I've learned there's like way more to just like talk therapy, but we only see like talk therapy in movies or social media. So we need to like be aware, like you mentioned, you had an infant mental health. I don't even think I really understood when I graduated that that was like a special area where I could have focused. I love that, like prenatal care, because I needed that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that was available to me. I needed like postpartum, probably I was trying to get like a a trained person in EMDR because my second birth experience was so traumatic at that hospital for the same company that I worked and I was like I can't like I can't keep working in a system that's like so abusive Mm -hmm. and um my platform's just like personal stories plus education and like I was mentioning wanting to do like workshops and retreats in the future and having like these journals because I love writing I mean I've had journals since I was like in middle school and I I have journals right now for my daughters so I am keeping three journals one for myself one for my oldest one for my little one and I don't write as consistently, but I imagine that gift of like, mija, tú tienes una historia. Mira, mija, this is what mm-hmm. you used to play when you were two years old, four years old. Because so much of like my childhood was like a blur. Like, I don't remember anything. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't. And then I learned like, maybe that's because it was like full of trauma. Like, tu mamá gritaba, tu papá le pegaba tu hermano. Like, who wants to remember that? Nobody. Right. So... Mm-hmm we have to find like ways to like track our stories and leave behind like the the positive too because that sometimes our brain loves to do that it forgets all the positive and it just wants to keep focusing on the negative so then you need something physical that can be like oh wait look I did go out with my mom and like she did take me she she did give me candy when I cried that time and then she'll go into you never you never that's what our brain loves to do right yeah oh that's awesome yeah thank you for sharing that and I I love what you're doing and I think that many Latina moms and daughters would love to know more about this and and it's also a healing process for everyone which is great yeah well now we're going to shift over to the viva la mami questions that i always ask my guests and so the first question i have for you is what still surprises you about being a mommy oh i never cease to not be surprised like i just love those moments that i could be having such a rough day and all of a sudden one of my little girls will do something and it totally changes like i feel happy i like have more energy i'm like ready to go play with them and it's just like amazing like how much we can transform like even from one minute to the next yeah what is one tip of advice you have for latina mommies to have grace like have grace i i think to connect it back to what i mentioned about like comparison like sometimes we still fall into those traps or just like our thoughts get the best of us of that guilt of not doing enough or 
something like that, but we have to show ourselves that grace and compassion, just like we want to have our kids like be graceful and compassionate because our healing journey never ends. And I, I mean, I'm guilty of that. At one point I was like, I'm 34 and I haven't done this before. Like shame me myself. And then I was like, wait, like, it's okay, because that's my experience. Like, I can't compare my experience to anybody else's. So there's gonna be other things that are gonna cause me harm in the future. I have no control over that. And I'm gonna have to like heal myself from that. So just understanding that like our healing process and trying to be the best mom is like never ending. And it's full of like, every day could be better. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. That's been a good <laughs> reminder for myself. <laughs> yeah. Final question. What is your meaning of motherhood? Oh, motherhood. To me, it's like a sacred bond. And mm. it's not only like a sacred bond to my daughters, but to myself, to myself as a creator, a giver of life. And I connected to my mother, like motherhood, like now I get to really understand um, what she was talking about or like why she said she felt all these like pains, like mm -hmm. I get to understand that and be in more communion. So the bond with her can also, in my case, like I think it's improved or at least I've been more aware of trying to have a healthier relationship with her. And where can people follow you? Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at hijas underscore bellas. I'll make sure to share this on the show notes. Maribel, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share with your community and wishing you the best. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Viva La Mami podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review and write what episode really resonated with you. If you really loved it, share it on social media or with an amiga. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to follow me at Viva La Mami on Instagram or visit VivaLaMami.com. Please note the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be replaced by your healthcare provider nor taken as professional advice.